Welcome to the next episode of the E-Commerce Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today we have with us a man I pursued to be on the podcast, Jimmy Kim. How are you, Jimmy? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me here today. Really pumped to have you. I know you're an e-commerce retailer, email marketer. Now you have a very popular SaaS, Senlane, founder and CEO. Email and SMS marketing company serves over 1,700 clients now. I mean, that's yeah. that's a lot. And you know, it's I like how it's a data-driven tool. It's better decisions in marketing, it's data, but you also have the deliverability email marketing backgrounds. We got loads to talk about. So you're at this perch, running send lane, you guys are on a rocket ship now. Like, how the hell did you get here? And you know, how did you get to this spot? Tell us. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'd love to share the story of how we all started. You know, uh, one of the unique things about our business was we didn't start a business to start a business. That was never the intention behind Sunlane. Uh, the idea behind Sunlane back in 2013 was we actually had a problem. The founders and I, we all used email as one of our primary revenue drivers for our business across different places that we were doing. And we couldn't find tools that really understood that what we wanted to do and you know what we wanted and how we perceived email to be working. So we went out, put some money together and built a little platform. And then um, fast forward four years later in 2017, that's when I would say the company became a business. That's when I decided, hey, like I'm going to go ahead and exit my you know, e-commerce slash retail store and my other software business. Let me go put my feet into this company and I, let me start growing this thing. And that's kind of how it all started for us uh, in 2017. That's when I say we had a business. And then that led into you know a lot of evolution pivots that we made. And ultimately in 2019 into almost 2020, we actually made the full pivot into e-commerce as a focus as well too. And we did that on a lot of reasons, not only because of my former background, but also just the excitement in that space and where we truly believe that things were missing the mark. And you know, most customers in the world were using MailChimp, for example, still one of the largest providers in the world. And when they were using that, we could see that people had that tool, but it was unfocused. It wasn't doing the things that they needed to do. It wasn't giving them that aspect of information. They were collecting just name and email where we recognize there's all these data points that are out there and we should be using that data. And we should be using that data to actually make meaningful impact in the, in how a marketer is looking at their data and how the, they can actually target the end result. So today, you know, as we continue to grow, we are 100% e-commerce focused, and what that means is we want we want to work with people who are selling something, a product, a service, or anything that they're selling on a site. It could be digital or physical. So that's one of the uniqueness things about us is that we understand the digital landscape as well as much as the physical landscape as well. And we, you know, we're here to serve them with you know uh, a very robust tool set that's still easy to use. However, it gives you that robustness that you might need for that enterprise grade. So we've got that. We say we serve the middle market where small and medium enterprise business. However, we're still affordable for the small business as well too. So it's a lot of a lot of things in there as well too. Mm. But that's kind of how the story happened, and you know, uh, it's been a fun ride and a really exciting future with, for us as well too. So, what a novel concept to actually use the data. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things there. I like how also you guys are email and SMS combo because I mean, so many ecoms still aren't using SMS nearly as much as they should, and it's always a top bottom of the funnel channel. Like, what are people's reluctance? Why do you have any market research or just intuition behind just set up SMS already? It's just money on a tree waiting for you to go pick it. You know, it's really funny. Um, 
you know, email to a digital marketer or someone who's more digital centric, digital native is they're cool with email because they've grown up with it and learned it. But then when you flip the script to someone like e-commerce, email's still a little bit of a touchy subject. They don't want to over bother their customers. They don't want to over inundate with emails. They've been on the other side. They, they've, you know, they don't want to do that. So email alone is there and they look at that as like already a little bit intrusive. Well, SMS becomes even way more intrusive to privacy technically in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of people look at SMS as one of those things like, should I do it and bother my customers? No, they won't want that because I wouldn't want it. And the reality of it is, yeah, you're true. You're right. Like some people don't want that SMS, which is why they have the option to opt in and option to opt out. Right. However, people just haven't fallen to it. I think this is going to be really interesting. And as these laws come into place, I think that's where the key is right now is that the laws are a little loose. I'm sure you get these SMSs just as much as I do these days, but we get all these random SMSs that have no meaning, no opt-in, there's no information. We don't know why we're getting these SMSs. And half the time they're spoofed and scams. And I think that bad stigma is something that still needs to be filtered. Basically, you know how we have a spam box for uh, inboxing now? There needs to be some kind of spam boxing rule for SMS now to start formulating because I don't know how that's going to work, of course, but I think that's going to be the next kind of big step that's going to have to start happening. There needs to be more rules put in place. I mean, right now there's rules like, you know, marketing SMS can only go between a certain time frame if you're doing bulk, right? So you can only do it during a certain time of the time of the day, and you can only send a certain number per day too. So you can only send one per 24 hour period. You'll have like dark time and light time, which means that, you know, from a certain time from, I think it's like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Essentially, you can send those SMSs, but after that, it's nighttime, so you can't send them. So there's all these little rules that are starting to formulate, and I think everyone's still trying to figure it out, and everyone's just hesitant there. Secondly, we don't have a lot of these, not to be gurus, but people who are teaching and educating, I guess is the word I say, is like, there's not a lot of people teaching SMS. They're either teaching SMS the way, wrong way right now, or they're teaching SMS based on theory or concept that they think in their head, but there isn't real SMS teachers out there right now. And I think that's part of the thing that comes into place when you think about what requires to adapt to certain product. Yeah. I think for sure that spam folders key. Although if you have the 9 PM dark, you can't send the, Hey, you up text at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, but that doesn't mean that people aren't getting around that as well too, which is why I'm saying like, you know, you can still get around it. I mean, with a software where we're being mindful like ours and we've got our, we're compliant with TCPA. Of course, we're protecting the, are protecting our business owners from doing that, but you can still do that right now. Non- TCPA compliance, meaning like you can still get around it essentially right now. And that's that's part of the problem as well, too. I think that's just inherently a, a just a giant risk of privacy in different places. But again, it'll, it'll sort itself out just like everything else in the world will. And uh, you know, as long as you're doing good practices today and hopes that as it evolves, it we're in the right place that it becomes the right decision that we made early on to make sure that we're complying with all the laws. So if someone's got to go right now, they wouldn't stay for the whole podcast. What would you say is the most important thing you can teach them about digital marketing or life or both? Ooh, what's the most important question I just thought up for you? And I said, I'm going to start asking this every time. I literally went out typing out my ideas. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus that digital question on e-commerce because that's what we do here. But I think the biggest thing that I teach people is just remember there's a human on the other side of everything that we're doing just because it's a digital name or number uh, that you are. Don't treat him like a digital name or number. Treat him like a human, just like if they were in retail storefront or if you were seeing face to face. So make sure you can humanize the experience. I think that's the biggest thing and make sure that you understand there's humans and people on the other end. And the one thing that I see as a problem as we continue into the future is we're starting to separate ourselves of what a human is and what a number of digital is. And I think that's something that I would say 
is my biggest thing that I look into the future of the world where I always say customer experience is going to be more and more meaningful in delivering that. And it's going to be, it doesn't mean that it has to match what real life was like, but we have to find our way of being able to experience, deliver that kind of experience. And that means through marketing, through automated messages. And I get it. We're still a business. We're still trying to get business owners to help them make money and help them communicate with their customers, but you can do it in an impactful way where people are more loyal to you. They they really recognize you. They want to open your emails, your SMSs. They want to be a part of that messaging because they enjoy it. And I think you have to find how to enjoy it and not just hit them with all uh, marketing emails, basically, or marketing SMS, where you're just trying to get them to buy, buy, buy and pull out their wallet. Find value. I think that's the big thing. Find value, deliver value, grow your tribe. I mean, that's really the ultimate thing that I think about a lot more these days than ever. And I think over the next three to five years, that's going to be where the world is going to start shifting towards because they're going to be sick and tired of getting hundreds of emails telling them about the last 50% buy one, get one free and you know all that. That's great. But you know, I, I, as you know, people want to know about more about the company and the brand and the story and the mission and all that stuff. And that's all value. And people like to have that value because I'm sure you have companies you really enjoy that you just really like what they stand for, not because their product's the best or maybe their product is really good, but you really do continue to go back because of the mission they stand for as well too. And that's what you've got to start driving out because that's what people want. They want that human connection. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So sendlang.com, I go there. Uh, I like I like that there's a lot of focus on the results, the data. Like mm-hmm. the homepage has like the revenue from an email sent as a stat. So, I mean... It's obviously it's important for marketers to focus on results, but like where else do you do that in Sendlane? And where do you see that marketers can get big gains because they're not the focus on the results, not like I don't know their intuition or you know what the team thinks. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly where you're going with that, and you're right. So when you're thinking about data, I, I look at data two ways, right? The results are very important to see the data, but it's also the ingestion of data as well too. How can you bring in more data? that you can actually take and mold to what you're looking for. So like one of our superpowers is not that we just we show you a lot of this data on the other side when you send that email. It's about before you even get there, you're looking at all the data. So for example, if you're a Shopify store owner on our company, you integrate with us. We don't just bring in basic data of your name and email like you might with a MailChimp. We're bringing 100 points of data from exactly the shipping addresses to the billing, the taxes, to you know what products you purchased, how much you spent, did it get ordered, fulfilled, shipped, all that good stuff, right? We're getting all that data in there. And you can actually segment on that data based around it. And then you hybrid that with your store data, your actual engagement data. And then, of course, any other data that you have from you know, your email and SMS of you know, how they interacted with that, your web page experience. And you can kind of congregate great audiences behind that. So to give you an example, on our platform, the way we think about it and what you should be doing is things like, hey, not only do I want to send an abandoned cart email, but maybe 30 days from now, I might go and say, tell me about all the people who abandoned cart this who uh, made at least one purchase in my store before in the past and is interested in this specific product because they visited that page in the last 30 days as well too. Let's hybrid that to bring in a really targeted audience. And it might not be huge. It might be only 100 people or 200 people. But if you can send them a really targeted message that's focused in telling them like, you know, you visited this, you left this in your cart. We've got a special deal because you're a great customer of ours. Your messaging is just so much more impactful. So the data on the front end side uses that. And on the back end side, we're all about tracking the results because we want to know that 
we want to be able to give people the information they need and not talking about just open and click and rates, but that's important as well. But you should be thinking about what products did they buy? How much money did you generate a revenue or tribute? And I know we're talking on with the report. So like, you know, attribution is important for us. We are just a very click-based attribution. Did they click in a five-day window, made a purchase? We attribute that sale to that email or SMS, right? Very simple thought process behind it. But we've known, we've learned that that's probably about the window that our influence really sits. And we believe that the click is there where some companies and platforms think about the open as well too. We've never used the open as an attribution metric because to us, that's not intent. That's just like a, a banner ad that they saw while they're scrolling. Um, but we use that information. And then of course, all that other information that you might need from the results side, which is like everything from, you know, how did they react? Did they visit what pages, you know, how did they flow through your website? And uh, did they ultimately purchase yes or no? And like being able to get all that information, I think is the type of results that marketers will need. Because if they look at an email and say, oh, I sent this great email out and it's got four links on it because I'm promoting four different things on that email. You may think as a marketer, as you say, we assume, oh yeah, they're definitely going to click on that number one thing because that's the hot item. But then suddenly you go in there and you're like, well, the third item was clicked on the most, but the second item made me the most money. Well, the question there is, what do you really want them to do? Or maybe you saw that the second item got clicked, but then you saw all the people landed on this other item that's not even something you promoted and they actually ended up buying that product mostly. Well, suddenly you know that that fifth product that you didn't even think about might be the product that you should be thinking about. That's data being used properly to know what your next marketing move should be behind it. And that's what we think about. And that's what we preach as a company as well, too. I love that. You know, attribution time windows. When I first started Wicked Reports, you had to become a lead within an hour of clicking and, and you had to buy within a day. And wow. it was super strict. This was like 20, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. And we'd get tons of results. But then once Facebook started, you know, pumping up their numbers, people wanted those juicier ones. I couldn't bring myself to fully adopt Facebook's extremely optimistic 28 day. But then what we started doing was allowing people to set their own and people like the wide windows. They just like them. So well, wide windows have fancy big numbers. I mean, that's <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we, we've gone back and forth with it because our competitors use open tracking, not click tracking. So like you open an email and then in, in seven days, you make a purchase anywhere, they attribute it. And I think yeah. that's just too loose. That's like a display or banner ad. Email is not a banner ad. It's a retention tool ultimately. And I think that's where people have forgotten that email is not was never designed to be top of the funnel. It was designed to be bottom of the funnel. It's your retention to get them to retain and repurchase and continue to come back over and over again. And to your point on that is like, how can you attribute someone opening an email as the same thing as a banner ad that they just read somewhere else, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that on your side too, as well. You think about this because I, can, I can't do this 28-day thing, but that's, that's <laughs> wild to me. That doesn't make sense. Because someone will be like, well, Facebook's showing 8x what you show. This is someone recently that just said this uh, like two days ago. They'd been around for like a long time too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I mean, do you uh, tell them the, the person working with them? I was like, well, do they disagree that email and SMS and Google and all these others made sales or not? Because if we're going to give it all to Facebook then we're going to take it from somewhere. And that's whenever the light bulb hopefully and usually goes on. They're like, oh, well, wait a minute. No, that worked. Like, okay, well, then someone's not telling the truth here. We have no skin in the game. We don't care. We just want to be able to tell you something about each order. But we don't care yep. who. And it's, yeah, it's but the open thing, that's the same way. You know, like, okay, that might have helped some. You know, we've moved where we're very rare, uh, very low emphasis on view, like 5%. 
we don't really give it a lot of credence anymore. Well, I didn't give it a lot to begin with, but now we're like virtually none because it's <laughs> and not. It, it, and the and data it, quality sucks on view now anyway. So like you can't rely on it. So just why bother? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say with iOS 14, 15, everything changing right now. I mean, view becomes less and less relevant. And I think a lot of people are going to be a little uh, surprised on some of those numbers, especially those agencies that are out there selling on that top number based on the open views and stuff like that. I think that's going to be pretty impactful. But ultimately, the biggest thing I always say is, and this is the number one thing we always heard in the day, and I'm sure you hear it all the time. We add all our attribution numbers together from Facebook and email and SMS and any other thing that attributes. And we add them together and then we look at our revenue and it's higher than our revenue. What happened? And we're like, always. Well, well, and Mr. Customer, now we're going to teach you the lesson of how everybody is attributing revenue and what truly means and impacts. And just because you thought you were making this, truthfully, you weren't making this from this. Everyone's just pulling that impact because it's a number in the sky still. So, yeah, that was when people do that, when they come to us, it's always a good customer because then they get it already. Well, e- uh, you know, I want to ask something about that. So like email. So we have a, a our demo customer who's not a demo. It's his real data. He's got about 7 million he made off email in the last year. He makes a lot of money. But then a couple million of that comes from top of the funnel paid. So how? what are your strategies or what are your thoughts on how do you connect the dots, pay-per-click to email in terms of a marketing strategy? Like if they're coming in from a specific offer, how tight does the email follow-up need to match that? Or what have you seen? What are your like um, principles behind that? Yeah. I mean, I go back to the same thing. It's, it's retention, right? And like you've, you've worked hard to get that lead into place. And you've got, if you've got that lead into place, your next goal there is to be able to track their experience and help them commit to that purchase. Now, the truth of it is they both had their own place in that attribution per se, right? Like front end, they had to, you had to get top of the prospect to get them to click on that ad and be interested in it. And then the bottom is your email was constantly going out to get them to come back in and purchase, right? And I don't think that you can say that either one, either or comes into place, but at the end of the day, the ad is what makes the most sense as being the attribution, in my opinion, because that's where the initial contact came in. Your other side of the email side was doing its job, making sure that you as a good marketer are following up with them, you know, immediately with that first email to be able to, you know, acknowledge them, make sure that they know who you are, be in their inbox, and then continue on that progress. And as you know, depending on the market, it can take any time between sales cycle, between couple days to couple months to get someone to make that final purchase. And I think that it's hard to say that the email did it because email was in order to get the email, there had to be an it had to be an acquisition point. And I think attribution should be pushed all the way to the top, to the first place of uh, attribution, should start with and weighted heavily on what that comes into place with uh, the first click or where the first person found the entry point. And then each part almost should be weighted down because each part is part of the process, but it's not really the reason why they made that final purchase as well too. So it's hard, right? And I think if I'm thinking about strategy behind that, it is just as much and best you can do by separating your funnels, using UTMs or using a tool like Wicked Reports and having the right tracking in place so you can see that funnel happen and all those activity measures. Because, well, you may learn that no matter what you do, that top of the ad needs to get clicked on. And then you need six emails before you get that purchase to happen. That's just going to be your metrics. That's how it works. But you can't say all six of those emails could be attributed. You can't say that top of the thing takes all of it. You've got to weight it across the entire thing. It's a funnel. And I think attribution, I think, is people don't think like that where you know people think, oh, I just want to know 
who made the sale. And it's like, eh, it's not about who made the sale. It's about how many touch points really had to be required and how many steps had to be done in order to make that. And that's your actual attribution funnel, I guess, is the way I'm looking at it and making sure that all the touch points are there. So that's my personal opinion around there. And that's what I think about attribution. Yeah, I think uh, that top of the funnel, cold traffic, figuring out what converts someone to become known to your brand, we find is a big one. What makes them that new lead in Sendlane, for example? That's a key conversion point because you're like, oh man, do I need another person emailing me? Now I'm going to see these remarketing ads all over the damn internet. <laughs> so for me, and I'd like to do zero inbox, I'm always like, oh God, if I give my email up, that's a huge conversion point for that brand. Huge. Yeah. I'm willing to like make myself known. So we we try to wait that one, you know, depending on the strategy of the campaign. Strategy is called traffic. That's a the number one signal, in my opinion. Yeah. So you guys focus a lot on e-com. What do you find e-com strategies? What are working what's working best right now? And what's what are the challenges people having? And then what's like solving those challenges? You know what the cool thing about e-commerce is it's a young market. I know, I know it doesn't sound young because I know e-commerce has been around, but if you actually look at the market in general, it's it's a very young market, low adoption still. I think we're still right on about 20% adoption in e-commerce from retail versus, uh, versus retail right now. And it's a young market. So what comes with young market that's been really interesting and somewhere we've really kind of planted our flag as well, too, is really on the education in front of teaching people. You know, I always joke about this. I say, you know, when we talk to when we talk to e-commerce companies, and I don't care if we're talking to the $1 million brand or the $100 million brand, we're talking to the market on the other end of it a lot of times. And here's kind of my Here's kind of my story I'll share with this. I've seen and learned a lot. How did they learn email marketing? Well, this is how they learned email marketing. 10 years ago, when they joined a company, their VP of marketing said, go do email marketing. And they said, well, what do I do? And the VP says, oh, just put together a newsletter about a sale and send it and blast it out to everybody. And then they take that and they keep doing it and doing it. Then they grow up their ranks and then they become the VP or marketing director. And then their next... uh, underling comes around and they're like, go do email marketing, go do this and that. And that's kind of how that market kind of learned. And now evolution is happening where people are like, oh man, email actually generates you more revenue. I better start focusing on it. I better start doing stuff on it. And that's where data is starting to come into place. And I think the evolution is happening right now. And where we think about ourselves is how do we educate people and teach people about all the little things that you can do with email, how all the little data you can use, all the reporting and why that's all important and how you can apply it within your business and how you can apply it into your strategy. And that email strategy is no longer drips and coupons. It's really meaningful uh, flows or journeys that you're putting on people to like take them through a journey within your system or an experience, right? And I think that's that's the way that we kind of look at it in the world and why e-commerce is really exciting is because we get to teach people, we get to kind of carve a little bit of the path out there in the world and not saying we're the hugest company in the world, but like we've got enough businesses that we're impacting now at this point and generating revenue for that, you know, as we see them evolve, they use our tool set and then they could never go back to a tool like a MailChimp because well, there's no data there anymore. And suddenly they understand, hey, man, the old way of doing just this batch and blast is really dying right now. And we're seeing even more and more. And with all these new tracking things that are coming into place, well, now meaningful content and meaningful information and reporting, all that stuff is now becoming more and more relevant. And everyone's starting to seek and search for it as well, too. I think I think that it took a while to that evolution to happen, but I look back five, seven years from ago, it was all about pretty pictures and lots of emails with lots of pretty pictures and designs. Now we're starting to get into more optimized data-driven designs and data-driven uh, thought processes. And I think that's just going to continue over the next five years. I think the world is going to be hungry 
to understand all the data points and all the attribution points over the next couple more years. And by 2025, my prediction is that as I look forward into the world of especially e-commerce, it will finally start to mature out. And I think the marketers are starting to mature as well too, just as much as I mean, the SaaS world is the same thing. It's like the SaaS world is still relatively very young. And it's like the same thing is happening there as well. We're all still trying to figure it out. In the SaaS world, we still haven't figured out attribution as well either, right? I mean, it's yeah. even harder in SaaS to figure out attribution because the sales cycles are extremely longer than the normal. And it's oh, a yeah. very different cycle. You know that. Yeah. I was a, uh, sometimes on demos, you know, our sales team will pull up someone first clicked in 2019. <laughs> Which yeah. is cool that we can track that, but also it's like that's not the most actionable stuff. What are we going to no. turn that campaign back on from 2019? Probably not. <laughs> and, and you know, the other part of the trick there is it's even harder is in B2B. You got the turnover that happens within the team. Like, you know, the people, the marketer signs up or gets interested, then they leave. And then the new marketer comes and picks it up. All the new learnings, the new demos after. So, how do you count that sales cycle? Do you consider it as a continued sales cycle or do you look at it as a fresh new sales cycle? You know, like, Attribution is a tough one. And I think that the more data and the more information systems can start pulling and pouring in, and I know there's a lot of privacy that goes around this right now, but as we continue to be able to drive that uh, information, I think that we will be able to eventually start seeing more of that window and opportunity, but I don't think it'll ever be perfect, but I think you can get pretty dang close is what I'm Mm -hmm. saying. Now, I mean, part of it's you can use all that data enrichment. If you can get a fit someone into a profile then the predictive stuff can work really well. And the better that model is, the more it can prove out. But it also needs to be transparent because like, I mean, Facebook's doing modeling and it's like bananas what they're saying, which is great for us. It brings me to, you know, IDFA, you know, 14.6 comes out, all hell break loose. What's that been like for you guys? And um, how's Facebook measurement been for you guys and for your customers lately? Oh, uh, man, it's it's been interesting. You know, all the all the updates, especially now. I mean, it's not even that one. I feel like that one didn't affect on the email side quite as much. But as we look into now 15, right? I was 15 and the changes that came with that one. You know, we're seeing it and, you know, we're, we're smart. And I think technology will always figure it out. But we're figuring it out. We're understanding it. It's trackable. We're understanding how Apple's doing. It's not that, you know, what's funny is I know Apple does, is, is positioning it like it's privacy, but it's actually there. If you look at what it really is, it's really just trying to improve the customer experience on the Apple side. So what they're doing on their side is very clear and simple. I'll, I'll explain it in the most layman terms here. They are caching the email as soon as it comes in, loading all the images so that when you go to look at the email, it's already all there. There's no downloading. It's just a better experience for the user. That's ultimately the number one point of what that is doing. On the other side, yes, I get the tracking and everything else that comes with it. But you know what? The cool thing we're seeing is, well, when they load it again, we're seeing that we're seeing that uh, pixel fire again as well, too. So it's looking like they're opening a second and third and fourth time. But reality is their first time opening it. So by seeing some of the data like that, we know exactly what we need to do. We need to ignore some of these initial opens based on all the information that we're getting out there around the device and ID. And then you can ignore that first open and look at that second open and start being able mm-hmm. to identify. And that's all it really is. And I know everyone's freaking out about it, but it's really as simple as that. And any ESP provider is smart enough and owns their own, you know, has their own understanding of deliverability should have already figured this out by now. I'm sure they have. I know we figured it out a couple of weeks ago before it even came out and we started to put our processes in place. In fact, we already had our processes in place that worked out really great for us because we had a great little set of bot detection in different ways. And 
it almost acts like a bot almost in its own little unique way. You just need to know how to filter around it. So it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I think that this is just marketing evolution. Yeah, you're going to freak out because people freak out because we all like to freak out about marketers, everything. Emotional yeah, marketers, emotional Marketers love to freak out. <laughs> it's going to make my job harder. That's really all it is. It's going to make my job harder. I'm going to have to work harder. Well, guess what? As marketers, we all need to evolve. If you use your marketing skills today and 10 years from now, you try to use those same marketing skills, you're probably going to be irrelevant. And well, that's part of learning and growing as people. And I think people freak out too easily over this kind of stuff ultimately. And that's that's really what I've been learning out there is like, you know, it's not even a big deal, guys. Cool. Calm down. It's it's all right, guys. We'll 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 continue to move forward. And you know, yes, your open attribution numbers of your of your uh, email are gonna be lower. But guess what? That was probably right anyway. So it's not even a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It is going to be actually a little cleaner. And then the IP, uh, you know, a lot of it affects the third party trackers, you know, like Facebook is like now that they won't be able to live off IP address data. But when you're trying to get a conversion um, off a click of an email, for example, uh, even a fake IP is still used for tracking. It's totally fine. Like our tracking is, is somewhat similar to an email click track. You know, we do that as well. It's similar. We just need a number that's unique temporarily. Because <laughs> if that's I'm it. trying that's to live off saying. an IP for like five months, you know what? That's bad IP data anyway. And IP data gets reused all the time. If you didn't already, you know, if you live in IP data, you already know all the different things. To, you already worked thousands of lines of code to clean the damn IP data already. So it shouldn't be like, oh no, the IP is going to be different. Like you already need to deal with that. ISPs already did that. They yeah, they, they already did that to us forever ago. You reset your internet, your IP changes if you're on any normal home internet. I mean, you're on a phone. Every time you reset your phone, you're on a new IP. Anytime you disconnect your Wi-Fi and internet, like people inherently are just freaking out over nothing. I mean, I think it's just the world, right? They just, <laughs> people market, again, it makes my job as a marketer harder. Therefore, I must complain about it, not adapt to it. That's that's kind of my my thought process always. And hey, we should just be adapting and learning. And hey, if you can build it, learn it faster and understand it faster, you're just going to be a better marketer and you're going to turn better results, which will ultimately make you a better person to be hired or to lead a company essentially, right? So exactly, I don't think it's a big yeah. deal. I think it makes a focus on first party data too, but it should have been anyway, just relying on some anonymous pixel to make you rich, which a lot of people do. <laughs> That's like, what I'm saying. Like, hey, get control of your own data. And if you figure out what you're doing, get better, you're going to make more, but also you'll be in control. It can't get taken from you if you have it. Correct. So Evolution. It's, it's a solid thing. And then for, you know, for attribution, it makes us focus on the highest quality signals, not yeah. just taking every signal and, you know, tossing it in there to have data, which well, I prefer anyway. not, I'm sure it works just in attribution as email as everything else, but like everyone everything counts. It's so much to them. They, they think that like, oh, I'm not going to be able to count some of this clicks. Oh, I'm going to lose out so much money. And you're like, you're not. These were the bad ones. These weren't the signals. They had bad signals. Like, let them go. It's like when an email doesn't open for, let's just say 190 days or 150 days or 90 days. And people will freak out when you're like, hey, you should stop emailing these people. And they're like, oh my God, what if they open? Well, Mr. Customer, if it's been 90 days of emails and they haven't opened one of them, what do you think on the day 91 or day 180 is going to change that position for those people? <laughs> really? I used to have that fear when I wait, I had a, a meditation website before and I just loved, I was building my list and I was like, I want to email all of these. I worked yeah. hard to get these leads. Yeah. Like, no, no. It, auto, it was some, I forget what I, it was a long time ago. It was like 2009. It was trying to, you know, not send based on engagement. I was ticked. <laughs> I was like, no, 
No, I've, I've wisened <laughs> in my old age. Now we, you know, we do that. But yeah. that's, that's evolution too. I remember the first time that we, I scrubbed the list. I was actually working for someone and I was explaining to him why we had to use hygiene. This was back in like 2010. And I'm like, explaining that we should be, we should stop emailing these 120,000 people. And I remember the freak out that they had the management team. And they were like, what do you mean? These people, they're, they're going to, you know, we work so hard. What to your point? And you're like, you're like, it's okay. Now that same person, let's get rid of those people. Let's get rid. They learn, right. It's evolution, fear. And then evolution happens. And I think that's the same thing that's happening today is what you said. First party data, people are like, uh-oh, we can't just sit there and rely on this pixel, fire an open pixel onto the world. And it's just going to all work for us magically. Well, we all had the fun ride and then everyone figured it out. And now it's no longer a fun ride. We need to find our next rev- evolution and figure it out. Go back to targeting. Oh, big, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I had, I had uh, listened to your, you had a podcast about a year ago with uh, the guy we met through was Aaron Zakowski. And you had some cool stuff about content marketing in there. Now, uh, are you still using a lot of that these days? And like, tell us a little bit about that because that's a something people might want to consider in this chaos. That you know, content marketing up near the top of the funnel. You had some dramatic decrease in your cost per lead. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know the, all the exact details off the top of my head from me from when I did this podcast, but it's still definitely relevant in our company. But back in the day, we we fo- we focused initially on the trial. Right, we know that a trial for us is really important because if you get into a trial, we get about twenty percent of those people will convert to a paid plan. So we knew that. So we went back and said, all right. We need trials. So let's let's hammer on advertising, top of the funnel. Let's go cold prospect on trials. Well, those trials were coming in, but they're very expensive because while well, people weren't don't even know us, they had no idea. So we said, well, let's take a different approach and say, let's get into what they're thinking about, what their relevance is, and what we can really help them and build value and get them to inquisitively get curious about what Sendlane is or what our product is and what we do. So we took the other approach and built very good content pieces, targeted pieces, and we saw a tremendous, I think it was about 3x reduction in what a trial ended up costing us by leading with content. And I'm talking about like, not like fluffy content, like, you know, generic fluffy stuff, but really core actionable content. So some of the content pieces, like the definitive card, uh, definitive guide to ban cards, or, you know, the set to 10 segmentations you need to be using for your business, things like that were very focused for your business that you can download without using Sendlane and just learn something really good from it. And we learned that that goodwill by teaching someone something will inquisitively get the person to say, well, if these guys are teaching me this for free, well, what's on the other side? What what platform is over there that we can take a look at and see what this business really does? Because they obviously understand me as a marketer, me as my needs. Maybe the platform will serve that as well too. So we saw a tremendous decrease of it. It helped us kind of build our top of the funnel in a way where it was way cheaper. We're driving leads at tremendously cheaper costs, and still to this day, and and the trial con- trial was coming in stronger. It was coming in with a more qualified person as well, too. With the old trial, the qualification was very loose because it was very wide. But this, you had to read the book, appreciate the book, and then you'd come in and be like, well, I- I'll go check it out. And maybe if they don't buy it today, we are here for awareness and branding at the same time. So it brings that branding awareness. I- you'd be surprised how many customers are, not customers, I'm sorry, People who are subscribed to us or follow us who are not customers of ours, but have told me, I've said it at TNC just two weeks ago, three or four people came to me and said, Jimmy, I'm not your customer, but I appreciate your content. We follow it. 
right? Mm. I will guarantee you one day they will be my customer. One day they will have an opportunity and one day they will come over. And yeah, it's going to be the longest sales cycle ever. I, I'm sure I'll never attribute this ever back there, but that's how I'm going to be able to build that, right? It's a thought leadership. It's a it's a goodwill. And also they'll be out there telling, hey, if you want email strategy or e-commerce email strategy, go see checkoutsuddenly.com and, and go check out their blog because they just give good content out. You should subscribe to their list. That's all you want. That's the chance you want. And that goodwill will ultimately turn into revenue. So that was kind of the strategy that we used back then and still the same strategy we use today. Uh, we've continued to evolve it. Of course, we started changing a little, the way that we've built in the funnels. We're trying out a, t- a lot of tests. We're trying to get, see if demos will, by the way, we tried that, like try to book a demo right through there. It doesn't work by the way. It's it's too early. You just got to give them the content. We yeah. tried the, uh, we've tried the removing of the typical gatekeeper. This is something we've learned recently. We're testing right now, but instead of doing the whole gatekeeper where, you know, opt in here to do information. We've now done the, let's put all the entire ebook on the website. Let's let them read the first chapter, then ask him for a gated uh, opt-in. And man, the opt-in percentage is even higher there. The lead cost is even better there. And the trial conversions are even stronger. So like, think about it that way, where you're giving them the first page and you're giving them the content, you're hooking them strong. And then you ask for their emails. You've got an engaged user who really gives a crap about the content you're talking about. They want that content now. And the only way they're going to unlock it is to give you their name and email to finish up that content. They do it right away. And then they're even more encouraged to want to learn more about your business too. You've got you've got a different level of engagement behind them. So like those are the things that we're optimizing and testing for right now in our business. And that's what I think the world is wants. I mean, really, blogs are back. Podcasts are back. I mean, all the, all these different versions of content are back. It's no longer about fancy images or even videos. I, even videos are whatever. But I feel like it's it's you got to be able to reutilize everything that we're doing over and over again. So you know that's that's some of the things that we're doing right now. So that to me is like the tip point that we I can say, say out there is like we're learning and we're always evolutionizing how to use content as a lead. But content still absolutely works, and I think that's what people are looking for in the market right now. They're not searching because they want your next tool. I mean, yeah, there's a small percentage of people doing that, but most people are out there, especially when you're doing something like social advertising, where you're disrupting. People don't want to be disrupted to be sold. They want to be disrupted to be taught. They want to be disrupted to be given something. They want to be disrupted to learn. And hopefully that disruption will turn into a a, uh, a curiosity into your business and ultimately, hopefully, a, a eventual future customer. So that's like the mindset we take. And I think that's the same mindset that every business should start taking because that's what people want. That's what people want. Google PPC, absolutely. Search engine marketing, 100%. You know, you can put it in front of me because they're typing in purple a purple pen and they're looking for a purple pen. Totally right in order to do it. But if you're doing social advertising, you should be thinking about this a completely different way because you're disrupting. And unless you've got an, a crazy impulsive product, and as far as I'm concerned, your product, my product are not really crazy <laughs> impulsive products, but right. a red pen or a laser pointer and it's fancy and has cats on the wall might be, but it all depends on your product, right? And I, I'm, I'm not right about the content play with every business, but a lot of businesses in the world are not impulsive businesses. And that means that you've got to change the model around and flip the script, right? Because, well, that's the way you humanize the experience. If your e-com store, if the price point's high, it's the same thing. You need to capture them while they're interested because they might not pull the trigger just because it's a hundred bucks. And they yeah. should be like, well, it's a hundred bucks. I want to think about it. I got to ask my wife, a husband or whoever, or just they get distracted. <laughs> they have a Zoom call come up. Their boss slacks them right when they get ready to buy. Then you yeah. lose them. Because they had to go get their credit card or whatever. So you got to, you know, unless it's an impulse buy, I feel like that 
something to lead them and capture their interest at the top is necessary almost in any industry. Definitely in SaaS. You can't just go in for the, I've had ads I've clicked on stuff that seemed kind of interesting. Then they're like, create an account. I'm like, create an account? I don't even know what the hell you guys do yet. That's what I'm saying. You've got an interesting, you know, I was searching for something like improve retention use metrics or something. I don't know. Yeah. So (laughs) the top of the funnel, they've got you on the top of the funnel. They created curiosity, but then on the page, they failed to deliver. Yes. That happens a lot. And that's worse. Demo. Yeah, I that's worse. It's a free account. I'm like, I, I don't, then you're going to start emailing me to onboard and I'm oh, going to get irritated because <laughs> I don't want to onboard. I don't have time for that. Yeah. I just wanted to sniff around a little. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just wanted to know, right? Yeah. And that's where, I, that's where I look at everything in the world and how the next evolution happens. I mean, I even look at the free trial and I think the free trial is inherently broken just for that reason, what you just said. Like, they don't really give a crap about getting in there and trying to tool out. That's that's for at the bottom of the buying cycle. What they really want to see is how does the platform work? Can you just show me? Can you show me a way to click around and look around things like interactive demos or videos and different things in the platform? That's what people want to know more about right now is they don't even want, they're lazy. Humans are lazy. They don't want, they don't want to do all the work. They just want to sit back and be like, ah, that's what it does, which is why the demo still works to this day because they get on a demo and someone shows them and they go, ah, that's how it works, right? They don't want yes. to learn that, right? And I think that's the really funny part about the way humans are now and what they're demanding and requesting. And I think that's, you know, behavior, right? I guess it's like the human behavior and the change that's happening with the buying patterns as well. And I think of the right pricing value metric, then you can let them start for free. And then until they get value, they don't start paying. That's I can't do that with attribution. It's too complicated. Of course. <laughs> but of course. I, I have, we have a new thing coming out. We track Amazon sales. That's actually very easy to set up. So we actually finally doing our first, not freemium, but really cheap to get started. Like cheap, yeah. cheap. Because that'll scale if you're any one of big volume, you'll be paying us a proper price within a few months. But when you're first getting used to it, you don't have to be like stressing out about paying 700 bucks a month or something. You pay like 100. <laughs> yeah. And it goes up. Yeah, no, I totally get it. It, it's, it. it all depends on the model and what you're doing. And you guys are serving kind of that educated marketer anyway. So an educated marketer probably expects cost and money and doesn't expect things for free. I, I always feel like the free side is very much that early entrepreneur, that young solo entrepreneur, the small business yep. that can't afford all that yet. And I get it. I respect those businesses. And I respect because I was there at one point as well too. But when your tool's too advanced or too far ahead, it uh, it doesn't work so well, unfortunately. Nope. And all it will do is cause support tickets for you. Yeah, support. And then people are frustrated. And then we're also doing them a disservice because we're not really helping them. No. Just getting them irritated people. and they wasted time doing something they shouldn't be doing yet. Yep. I get hit up by traffic conversion. Hey, when are you coming out with Wicker Reports Light? I'm like, never. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to add more advanced stuff, not less. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, uh, this was great. It flew by. Uh, anything else uh, you'd want to chat about before? Will I get your precious time here? No, I, nothing else. I, I think we covered a lot of cool stuff here. And it's always, it's always, I always have so much fun talking with you about this kind of stuff because you're on my wavelength about thinking about the world in the future. And I think it's, it's always a good time. I, I've never had a bad conversation with you. So That's thank good, you again too. for having me on this uh, podcast. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Where can people learn more about your product or connect with you? Yeah. I mean, sendlane.com, very simple. Sendlane.com is very easy to get to. Uh, And then otherwise, you can find me everywhere. But my email, I mean, I I even put this out there is jk, like Jimmy Kim, jk at sendlane.com. You can email me. I do respond. 
Uh, if I can't help you, I will point you somewhere that can help me, but shoot me an email if you have anything and I'm happy to see if I can help you or answer any questions or problems that you might have. That's impressive putting that out there. Maybe if you change your mind, we can edit that in production. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm okay with it. I put it out there everywhere. You'd be surprised how many people don't email you, by the way. And then they go, I don't know how to contact you. And you're like, well, sir, or ma'am, my email is everywhere in the world. If you don't know how to contact me, it's not rocket science. However, this is my email over and over again. So JK at Sendling. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind. That's great. All right. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. 